Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. All right. Welcome to Moving the Rock. Chris, I'm super excited about today's episode, my man. How are you? Doing well. Excited to be here. Good, good. Today we're talking about one of my favorite topics, execution. We are uh, three steps into our theme of overachievement, and uh, execution is one of my favorite topics uh, because it connects so closely with this idea, this this uh, saying that I'm known for, you have the blank you deserve. You have the company you deserve. You have the people you deserve. You have the pipeline you deserve. You have the customers you deserve. You have the relationships you deserve. And the reason I love that statement is that it puts the onus for what I'm experiencing right now on me. And it forces me to think about the decisions that I made and the actions that I took to get to where I am right now, which leads us to another formula we'll get to in a moment. But what I want to when I want to layer on this topic today is what you bring to the table, man, which I'm so thankful for and so lucky to have been experiencing over the years, is really um, attaching that a, a tool to this discussion that allows us to understand the emotional side of this, mm-hmm. right? How do we use our emotion to sabotage us? How do we use it to enhance where we are uh, because I, I, because at the end of the day look I can explain or we can talk about all the intellectual stuff we want we can create formulas and so forth but man when it comes to execution we have to understand that side of us or we are not going to be able to opt, operate at our potential yeah yeah absolutely I mean it's it's the both sides of the coin that's a cliche phrase to say but there's a reason cliches stick around is because they're true and you and I have both worked with a lot of high impact leaders and we've seen where execution goes right, whether by intention or chance, and we've seen when it goes wrong. And what we dive in today gets to break down both sides of those coins. So we're not just living in one place with it, where it's, uh, you know, the pressure to increase your willpower uh, if you only have the one side of the coin or if you have the other side of the coin and you're not ambitiously maximizing your potential Uh, because people could hear that statement like you have the blank you want and if we're honest all of us let me better better way to say this if we have vision all of us have a place where something could be better vision just means at a starting point i'm bothered about something and it could be better and if i'll own the responsibility for it and say well i have what i have because the choices i've made Obviously, there are some circumstances out there where people might be in an abusive situation or whatever. And it's just like, that's so overwhelming for them, I know. Own mm-hmm. the fact that you got to get out, right? But for most of leadership and business decisions, we're owning the situation we have. But what do we do about it? And so that's what I'm excited to dive in today and cover this 
you know, cover both sides of these coin, this coin in a way that people can leave the episode and go, I know, I know what I need to do. I know how to let that map onto my life. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I mean, uh, we don't have to get too deep into this idea of you have the life you deserve, right? We don't have to go too far into testing whether or not that's universally true because you and I have our own experiences. We have our own hardships that we've overcome. There are other people out there that are experiencing unimaginable hardships that we can't even we can't imagine. The point of the model isn't to present it as a meta model that we debate. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. not a fair thing to do. But I do present it as a way to help us in the context of our work life, let's say, in the context mm-hmm. of the business that we're building, in the context of the team that we're leading, um, how can I get folks thinking about, thinking about what they can do differently instead of the excuses that they come to the table with? How do I help build a functional mindset that allows me to approach the shitstorm that I've been presented with <laughs> in a way that's going to get me through it most quickly and most um, without without the scars, you know, get me through it and get me on to the next thing. And 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 by doing that, teach myself how to approach the next shitstorm that comes down. Because right, that's what life throws at us all the time, all the time. And so, what we do for us, you know, as humans, is we want to avoid it at all costs. Whatever we can do to stick our heads in the sand, to numb out from it, all the things people would think of in, in the passive, but some try to avoid it actively. You say, how could that be? Well, they just hype themselves to a distraction of some sort, right? And, and they get stuck on some kind of fantasy or some kind of silver bullet that they think is going to rescue them rather than getting in and doing the work. And so execution on the emotional side of things starts with just accepting which is what you're laying out when you say you have what you deserve it's accepting the reality that i wish wasn't true i'm accepting it i'm owning it i'm seeing it i'm i'm feeling it and we put that under a word just aware it's simple am i really aware of what's happening do I really know? And if there are people that are listening to this that are like, well, it's actually going really good. It's, it's, it's smooth operation. One of my favorite quotes on this is by Frank Herbert, who wrote Dune, the science fiction book like that kicked off science fiction. What a metagenius uh, that work is and his, his books. But he said, you know, show me a smooth operation and I'll show you something covered up. All boats rock. And it's just this idea that there is something there. There's something there. If we apply this in a sales context, leadership context, there's some hidden piece. If you think it's smooth, somebody's hiding something. And it's your job in your leadership, in your personal transformation, in leading a sales team, in your personal sales uh, expression, to start with, where do I need to be aware? What do I need to be aware of? What's really going on here? Right, right. So, it, and the first thing I think of is, and I love sports. I love watching sports. I love the uh, the idea of facing a challenge and overcoming that challenge, of stepping into the breach and testing yourself uh, on the field of battle, if you will, with, 
that isn't a zero-sum game because you get to walk away. But you know, the first thing you hear from the highest performers is, yeah, we won, but there's still work to do. And I love that approach. Yeah, I'm going to celebrate, but yeah, I'm not going to celebrate to the point that I become blind to or I fool myself into thinking that there isn't more work to be done. And that's just a hallmark of somebody who's, got, who's on this path of continuous improvement. So awareness isn't just something we do when we screw up and we're, when we're facing a challenge. It's something that becomes a response to every outcome, whether it's positive or negative, what we wanted or didn't want. Um, it's just something we always want to be working on, a muscle we always want to be flexing. Absolutely. There's a, a tendency I've seen and you just spoke to it there, working with leaders, when they've come out of a winning season, they aren't going into a coasting mode. Healthy leaders that have a healthy emotional life aren't also driving themselves to performance and improvement just so that they can be at rest or be at peace and finally accept themselves or whatever, because there'll never be enough of that. But when they know who they are apart from the pursuit, they can go, this was good. We won. Let's take the momentum of winning and take some more ground. They have a they have an approach like that that says, "Yeah, I'll advance." The, the, you know, the best time for me to try to advance a little bit is after a bunch of big wins. That's not when I want to go celebrate. I want to tackle some things that might have been on the periphery that now my confidence is really boosted to go after. Then I'll celebrate some. But the idea being we're never in a place that we don't need more awareness. In any situation, we're ever asleep and ever waking up to whatever reality is. Right. Because what you woke up to yesterday was great for yesterday, but you gotta wake up again today. Right, <laughs> right. So I w before we move on, I wanna stay on this concept of awareness really quickly and just draw a correlation back to the topic, execution in the context of this idea of overachievement. When I typically talk about execution in a sales environment, uh, it, the formula that I talk about is this idea that the decisions we make plus the actions we take equal the outcomes we create. Why do I leverage that model? Because I'm typically talking to salespeople, sales leaders, owners, um, executives in organizations, and what are they looking at? They're looking at the outcome. They're looking at revenue, growth, number of customers, quality of customers, uh, expansion, penetration to markets, um, territory uh, penetration, account penetration, all this stuff that is really really occurs at the end of a process, right? And there's all kinds of stuff that goes into it. Luck, um, hard work, opportunity, all that stuff goes into it. So the question always is, well, how do we make that the outcome that we want to create more predictable and repeatable? And so the, the formula is designed to, to focus us back on the decisions we make and the actions we take. And in that context, we go back to our sources of data, right? The evidence that we have that describes the quality of our execution. If we do something and it gets us closer or, can, or gets us to the next step in the sales cycle and we convert at a higher rate, then ooh, that must be good data. That must be a good thing to continue doing. So we're always looking for those predictable, uh, the predictable things that we've done in the past that will give us a better indication as to what our outcomes are going to be in the future. And we want to repeat those as much as we can until we find the next best thing. Well, the awareness in this model is data. 
which really isn't very emotional. It's not very fun. And it doesn't really include the emotional side of the individual who has to process that data, right, into a decision and then also process data into, into a, a higher level of execution. So what do I do that works in terms of decisions? What do I do that works in terms of execution? You know what? The wild card here, dude, it's the person. Because we can both look at the same data, you and I, and come up with different decisions and different forms of execution, different actions. Yeah, you know, it, to be super deep about it, the universe is ever being experienced from the perspective of the observer. Right on, and <laughs> that's like, you know, that's true for spreadsheets. Somebody looks at a spreadsheet and goes, this is great. This is horrible. This is missing. You know, it's, it's all of those different perspectives. But it is the, con the confronting of the data, good or bad or whatever perspective we have, that sets us up for the growth that we need to execute. How do we know? I, you know, I think about this in terms of evolutionary history. Evolutionary history, it's the constant upgrading of your data by what is and isn't working. You know, I joke about this at home sometimes, but like, you know, we'll, my wife is like hyper vigilant to throw something out of the fridge if it's date. And I'm like, well, let's smell it. Smells good to me, I'm gonna eat it. You know, uh, typical guy fashion, the dad there, right? And you think about evolutionary history, like how did they figure out you shouldn't eat spoiled raw meat? Because you walked into your neighbor's hut and they were dead. Not to be callous about it, but it's like, oh, well, we don't eat that, right? And so it's the constant paying attention to what is the data telling me? What are the results that I'm getting that sets us up for the most effective execution? Right. Well, so let's talk about the kind of data that we want to pay attention to. And this is where we're going to get even deeper, I think, because, you know, I want to set aside the pipeline data, the CRM data. I want to set aside that stuff that we're really used to measuring. Uh, and I want to focus on the data that we can accumulate that really informs our insecurities and the things that trigger us to misinterpret, right, the information that's in front of us and maybe make incorrect decisions and maybe take ineffective action. And, uh, and I know you've, done, you've dedicated your career to this. Uh, set us up with this idea, uh, set us up with how we should be thinking about um, how our insecurities Mm -hmm. uh, influence our decision making and what kind of data we should be paying attention to if we want to create some awareness around this and then overcome it. Yeah, beautiful. Um, we've got 12 hours, right? Because <laughs> uh, this is like, I, I can't even watch a TV show without thinking about this and I've so ruined my kids, they'll like point out stuff. And But yeah, when we're when we're in unconscious operating mode, or stress, so we're kind of cruising through life, or we're stressed, what we don't realize is, even in unconsciousness, the unconscious actions we're doing, our insecurities are coming out. They're just more evident when we're stressed. And so whether either of those is happening, when we're stressed, we're all full of insecurities. I just read an article by the lead singer of R.A.M., old throwback there, but he's like, we're chock full of insecurities. We all have them. And I have never coached anyone anywhere in any position at any company 
whatever size, you know, publicly listed, traded, Fortune 100 above to small companies, they all have them too. And what we're saying when we say insecurity is this. A part of you is acting in a way to not get the best result. That's data, but you can't see it. You're not aware. It's like you're eating at dinner and you've got a giant piece of food in your teeth connected to a piece of salad and it's like swinging in the air. Everybody <laughs> sees it and you don't know it's there. And so these insecurities are, are happening when people give speeches, when they try to rally the team, when they speak up or don't speak up in meetings, when they communicate through email, it's leaking out in their language all the time. Right. So, uh, and I can, I can just imagine, I, I know I've done this before where I want to say the wrong thing. I know it's the wrong thing to say, but I can't help myself. And I blurt it out. Um, I know I'm making a mistake in that moment, but I don't know why necessarily. Is that what you're talking about? I don't know what insecurity is actually deep inside me driving that behavior and that need to actually make that statement. And somehow making that statement is going to make me feel better because it's going to be addressing that insecurity. But I'm at that moment really not aware of that, yeah. of that function. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it, you could think about it like a car. There's a rusty hood because you didn't know it. You bought a damaged car and they put Bondo on it. And then over time, you know, this corrosion starts to occur and you see it and you wish it wasn't there. So yes, it is the insecurities that show up in the things that we respond the way we don't want to and we wish it were different. But you and I both know, you pop that hood, there's some stuff going on in the engine. The brake pads may be low, the oil may be low. You know, I'm going to get way out of my depth here and people will know that I'm a car hack. You know, but, but inside the interior, there's some stain, whatever. All of these things, they're there. And the more you learn to notice the smallest of insecurities, the big ones take care of themselves. Right, right, right. right. I can, I can, uh, the analogy I'm thinking of is when we bought our first house. You walk through it, you fall in love with it, and you just look over all the shit that you should be looking at <laughs> because that emotion is kind of like allowing you to overlook all those things. Um, yes. Yeah. So we're still talking about awareness. So um, I want to, I want to, uh, talk about how you help folks create awareness around the insecurities, because we know that you know in sales and leadership, especially where so much is asked of us, and we put ourselves under so much pressure, it's really easy for us to kind of go back to our caveman and cave person, you know, um, um, work hard, you know, find the grit, you know, all the all these kind of like trendy words and concepts that just mean work your ass off harder, push forward, put your helmet on, head down, let's go through that wall. Uh, we kind of we kind of think that that kind of behavior is going to allow us to overshadow and make up for and cancel out those insecurities that drive us. And you know, you and I both know that you may be able to get past them in the short term, but long term, man, they're coming back and they're going to come back with a vengeance. So how do you help folks create that awareness? Yeah. You know, it's, they do come back with a vengeance. Oh, uh, I, well, I was going to do my workout today and I started to do one exercise a certain way and my knee was hurting the last couple of days and my knee was like, no, you won't. Mm. And I could have powered through it. I could have done the exercise 
and I would be limping like I did after the Tough Mudder competition for a whole freaking month. Uh, so you can't avoid that stuff. So, you know, there's really two ways we help them. One, it's an assessment, a questionnaire called the IFQ, and they're going to see what they've never seen before. The narrative of their mind, the movie playing in their mind, all their insecurities originate from. The second way is we train them to see it by teaching them a specific template with some language. So then they start recognizing, oh my gosh, I just did that thing. We, we show them an active and a passive way that they do something out of insecurity. And once they see it, and once they talk about it, because we do you know group coaching and whatever, they'll never unsee it. Mm. It can't happen. Because the brain will organize behavior around insights. They just need the insight. And uh, the assessment and then the question helps them get there. And once they get aware, then they can make the choice of whether or not they want to progress to the next step. Is this um, like a personality assessment? Um... Yeah, it's beyond personality. So, you know, personality, much of our personality is like a defense mechanism that forms pre-verbally. So by the time we can actually speak, we're already doing things out of insecurity through the things that we experience uh, in life. And everybody has different levels of those experiences. So not personality. You can think about it more as um, an unconscious operating system, that this is under stress, uh, showing up in clear ways. And even in the most mundane moments, this is what's activating you. It's what's giving you energy. It's how you're pursuing things. It's how you're making your decisions. It's what you define as closeness in your relationships. You know, it's hilarious because we've coached enough people and you can ask a leader how the meeting go. I went great because blank, whatever goes in that blank, that's the story that's playing in their mind. And that's how they derive meaning. Right, right. I was coaching a, uh, a leader yesterday and um, we were talking about his leadership identity hmm. and one of the one of the phrases he used as he was talking was makes me look good mm. right and so the the we 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 dug into that deeper and his story was similar to one of my early stories where one of my managers told me once flat out jimmy your job you have one job and that's to make me look good and so you know that insecurity that that manager that that leader had was passed on to me you know until i learned something new but what was interesting is that this leader was expressing that insecurity um, as a as a metric of success mm. uh, for himself, and then it was going to be passed on to his team. So we had to we had to really just spend some time exploring that and exploring the functionality of operating that way, and then modeling that behavior for the team. What kind of team would you end up creating by doing that? Yeah, see, that's awesome. Because then what you do is you get them into it. And that's really the next step in execution. It's to go into the thing that shows up. Your awareness is there. It's You, you see something that isn't easy to see. What are you going to do? And we use the language lean in. Uh, you lean into it. And that comes out of a story that we probably don't have time for here today. But it transformed my life when I realized... Oh, 
the things that I'm afraid of or the things I need to step into. And then you find out, hey, this is as old as time. I mean, Joseph Campbell said it best. The treasure you seek is in the cave you're avoiding. It's mm-hmm. a little bit of a paraphrase, but the idea. And so all the good stuff, all the good stuff comes out of stepping right into that thing that is the place that I'm trying to avoid. The conversation, the step I need to take, the action I need to take, whatever that is. Is that kind of like that um, phrase my kids grew up hearing me talk about, face your fear? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, but when we say that word, what people take it as at surface level is, okay, so I'm afraid to speak up in front of class, right? If the, mm-hmm. Use the kids' example. So I need to speak up. That's wonderful at the surface level, but there's something deeper. What we really want to lean into is... Why am I afraid to speak up? Oh, I'm afraid that they're not going to like me. They're going to think I don't know what I'm doing. They're going to, I'm not going to fit in anymore. Now, at this point, everybody thinks that everybody else is afraid for the same reason they are. But that's just not true. There are particular reasons that people are afraid. And when they can know that fear with a precision and an accuracy, when you lean into that, you are walking into the cave that has okay. all the goodies you need. So what I'm hearing you say is uh, lots of people have a fear of speaking in front of groups, but everybody's why is going to be, has the potential to be different. So yes. it's the why you are afraid. So it's not, so the way you face your fear isn't by just forcing yourself to speak. The, the exercise is to understand the why behind the symptom that you're experiencing and um, focus on that. Yes. If it was just doing it, then uh, the most easiest, the easiest example to use is like the NBA player, Kevin Love, I think was his name. You know, performers and leaders understand this, sales performers understand this, can gut it out and get it done. Okay, I got to face my fear and do it. But if they do it from a place that isn't resolved internally within themselves, they are actually burying a stress response that in 20 years from now or sooner, depending on how high performing they are, it's gonna form a coup in their body. And those things are gonna get together and they're gonna sabotage your best intentions. And then all of a sudden you're trying to go play basketball, but you're having a panic attack. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's what, we're, that's what we were taught, bury it, baby. Uh, in my generation. Suck it up. What, right. why, you know, I remember hearing, why are you so sensitive? Suck it up, <laughs> get it done. And now you I know, love that part of me. Yeah, well, I was, I, I was, uh, I did such a great job burying it. People would say to me, why are you so serious? Right, mm-hmm. I got to the point where I was just never smiling, especially in situations that were important to me. <laughs> very interesting. So um, I think this is super important because what it does for me is it really accentuates the value of proper coaching. Uh, whether your coach is your leader, uh, your manager, or somebody you hire outside of work, or whatever it might be, but you know, there's just there's just I just can't imagine getting to the why behind the symptom that I'm experiencing without help without somebody asking me questions to help me kind of dig deeper into that 
Um, and I know that um, you talked about the IFQ. I'd love to hear more about that. But it seems to me that the IFQ is is a tool that can start that journey, maybe even accelerate the, the level of awareness so that I can lean in. Is that, can you give us a little bit of background on the IFQ or just a sense of how yeah. that works? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember when uh, 2007 in my own crises and 2008, um, you know, had business success and, and leadership success, and then just at the bottom, it's a whole nother story for another day. Uh, I was trying to figure out why, what's going on. You know, I don't like who I'm becoming. I don't like what's going on. Um, I'm, something has to change. And I got a powerful insight through a circumstance. And that circumstance was life defining because it felt like the worst failure I could ever imagine it happened and uh, related to taking care of my family. And I, and I, in that moment thought this, am I better than, do I get to feel better about myself if I take care of my family and, and resolve this circumstance? Do I feel worse about myself if I can't resolve this circumstance? And what showed up like a lightning bolt was I am who I am regardless of whether I can win or lose in this circumstance. So I, I, my sense of self separated from my circumstances and my roles. And as I began to research that and study that and pay attention to that moment, all this transformation started coming out of it and found some patterns uh, of how people show up in these moments of insecurity. And so, yeah, we found nine identity fears that we uh, see over and over and over and over. And as we look at these nine identity fears, we, through the IFQ, can measure what right now is showing up for you the most or what has shown up for you the most in your lifetime or both. And it's, uh, it's a view in the mirror. It's like you got up from the restaurant table, went into the bathroom and you said, oh my God, I see that food and you take it off. And if you, you know, you go through the IFQ and you get the results and you go home to somebody you love and you say, did you know I do this? because they sit at the dinner table with you, they will not go, holy cow, I had no idea. They would go, ah, you have seen what we've all been seeing. And that kind of yeah. obvious insight like that creates a momentum shift where the word we use is a flip occurs. Now, what was an insecurity becomes an opportunity for growth. So the thing that I wanted to avoid talking about with the sales leader I need to coach or my wife or my child now becomes an opportunity for a closer relationship, a value reinforcement. I mean, we could go on and on with this, but that's the nature of the universe. You, you don't do anything but cooperate with what's unfolding and redirect it in a way that it's working for you, not against you. Yeah. Love it. Easier said than done, right? That's the math. I mean, that is it. I mean, yeah, when yeah. we walk people through this, we don't even get to this part until later on because they're learning so deeply how to pay attention to these real right. moments of insight so that what? They can execute. Right. We're, well, what, we're unblocking their execution. We could say it that way. Exactly, exactly. And, and what I'm thinking of, you know, is what more powerful, is there a more powerful tool for a leader, right, to um, have a command over so that they can um, help their team members, you know, reach and redefine their potential to unblock themselves so they can 
achieve uh, the outcomes that they that they're looking for, that they've envisioned for themselves. Uh, I can't imagine how powerful it must be for leaders to not only have command over this model for themselves, but also then uh, for their teams. Yeah. Well, you know, Seth Godin, who's a kind of a thought leader in some different spaces, has a very popular blog and has been around for years, but he has the best quote on this. He says, the essence of leadership is to be aware of your fear. Like, that's it. Now, we're talking at the level of your insecurities as a leader, but it applies to everything. I mean, what are thing what what are people avoiding executing on because they're afraid? So we want to get aware. We want to lean in. After we lean in and understand what's really going on, the moment flips. I mean, there's endless martial arts examples about this. I'm not trying to combat force with force. Right. I'm cooperating with what's happening and redirecting it. And once I do that, this last piece of the what we call the sight shift paradigm is flow. Then I'm in flow. And then what's happening, I'm in sync. There's a flow through that, you know, and this applies to your work. This applies to how you structure your calendar. This applies to how you are in a meeting. It applies to a date with your partner, love interest, or spouse. There's endless application to this. And sadly, what's happened is the, the flow conversation has been very abstract and tends to be focused only in extreme performance of athletics when we can all access it. That was the the guy behind flow decades ago that produced the research that defined the state. I'm not going to pronounce his name because I would mess it up. This is a state accessible to everyone. Right. And that's what we're looking for. I mean, that's what leaders want. You know, I want my team in flow. When we talk about sales forces that are executing um, a 100% predictable growth curve. The idea is that I know exactly what's going to get me where I want to go, and I know exactly how to get there. So I'm making the, the decisions and taking the actions that are going to produce those outcomes. And that those decisions and actions become the performance drivers, the inputs that get me where I want to go, that keep me in flow. Um, and it, what's really cool about flow, I think, that uh, we've discussed on other podcasts uh, with uh, our friend Brett Burchard, who's um, you know big time flow as it applies to uh, athletics, is that when you're in that flow state, you're you're so um, you're so aware of the decisions and actions that you should be taking that you're not even thinking about it. It becomes not something that you're. Uh, methodically walking through, but something you're feeling. It's more yes. of a feeling state or yeah. a being state. Well, and we, we, you know, we've defined it, if it's helpful, flow, F, fear fades to the background. At, at a conscious level, the fear is, do they like me? Am I doing a good job? Mm-hmm. A layer beneath that, it's these identity fears, particular to you. Well, when that's not driving the narrative of your mind, it fades to the background, then you have a loss of time. Time matters, but you're connected to the present. You've got a future vision and you're present engaged, building on the past in this unconscious processing. O, overflow of practice. The more you do flow, the better you get at it. You recognize when you're out of relationship with yourself, with your team, in that moment that's in the meeting when you make that comment or you're noticing their breathing pattern changed and they're not speaking up. W, we and me. 
you live in that state of consciousness where you know you have an individual consciousness and there's a group consciousness and you feel both states, you know. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, what would it be like to be a part of a team, a sales team, whatever, that understood group consciousness, this we and me dynamic, and could operate at the level of performance of SEAL Team 6, who when they are in the thick of battle, they actually do work on changing command without speaking based on whoever is in the moment and has, aha, the most relevant data. And it goes back to awareness and we never end. Yeah, I think, I think that's where most people, though, I, I, this might be a stretch, but when I think about salespeople, there's a type of salesperson out there who doesn't prepare, mm. you know, uh, and just kind of go, goes with the flow, right? And they do that because there, were, there was a time in their past when they did that and it worked. Yes. Now, you know, I would say it's irresponsible to not prepare to be in flow, right? I mean, there are things you can do to ensure that when you're in flow, <laughs> you're going to be successful instead of in flow, you know, stumbling over your yourself. So, um, you know, I think it's I think it's an interesting lesson. Um, being in that flow state is not something that you just will to occur. You have to work at it. Yeah. You, well, you 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 learn to cooperate with what's unfolding. That's it. And if you don't learn to cooperate with what's unfolding and and work at what's unfolding, you reach a point where you think you can coast and just phone it in. Well, in today's world, which is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, military term, things can change so fast, you can't coast anymore. You have to relearn that practice every day. Yeah, and that's so how cooperating, we execute. Sorry for interrupting. So no, cooperating with what's unfolding is a proactive effort. Exactly. It is a decision you make to invest some time and effort, brain power, in figuring that out. So it creates that, you need that awareness, and then you need to understand, okay, how do I cooperate with this? Yeah. You are living then in the razor's edge where I'm not passively giving up out of lack of control and I'm despairing, nor am I hyper trying to control everything and I'm frustrated because life never goes like you think. I'm right here in the sweet spot cooperating. Right. And so the next time I hear anyone give me an excuse, I can just say, look, man, you've got the customers you deserve. You've got the pipeline you deserve. You've got the income you deserve. You've got the relationships you deserve. What are you going to do about it? And when they say, shit, Jimmy, I don't know, I'm going to say, have you heard? (laughs) Aware, lean in, flip flow. And they're like, can I read a book on that? And I'm going to point them to you, my man. <laughs> That's awesome. So there is. So you did write a book on this, right? Yeah, a few books. Um, the best one to go to for the in-depth part of this would be the book figurethatshiftout.com. Okay. All right. Good stuff. All right, my man. Um, brilliant conversation. Thank you so much. We've been talking about execution. We got deep. Uh, I hope this was helpful. And Chris, thanks for the wisdom. Privilege to be here. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace.